guys want to join me, we're going to continue in John this morning um, at John chapter 5, verse 19, is where we're beginning. Jesus responded to the Jewish, Jewish leaders, I assure you that the son can't do anything by himself except what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him everything he does. He will show him greater works than these that you will marvel. As the father raises the dead and gives life, so too does the son give life to whomever he wishes. The father doesn't judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever doesn't honor the son doesn't honor the father who sent him. I assure you that whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life and won't come under judgment, but has passed from death into life. I assure you that the time is coming and is here when the dead will hear the voice of God's son and those who hear him will live just as the father has life in himself. So he has granted the son to have life in himself. He gives the son authority to judge because he is the human one. Don't be surprised by this, because the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Those who did good things will come out into the resurrection of life, and those who did wicked things into the resurrection of judgment. I can't do anything by myself. Whatever I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. I don't seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Leslie. Well, let's jump into it. We're continuing this in John chapter 5, and this is an interesting passage here. In fact, if you read John 5 from 19 to the end of the chapter, remember last, last week we hit the beginning part. If you read to the end, you might think these kind of mirror each other, but there's actually uh, some very clear distinctions, which is why this week we're going to talk about this passage, and next week we'll finish chapter 5 by going on from 31 to the end. This passage, I think, is going to challenge us uh, a little bit. In fact, I, I want to tell you this morning, the challenge probably is going to come for Christians. So if you're a believer this morning, if you're a Christian here already this morning, there's going to be a challenge that comes from this passage this morning. But there's also the, the reminder and once again, this invitation of new life. And up till now, what we have learned is some dominant themes in the book of John is that Jesus came to offer new life. He's critiquing and pushing against what the religious leaders are suggesting God is offering. And he is trying to return to what God really wants to offer. And so he speaks in terms of life constantly or light we saw as a metaphor as well. And so we'll see that uh, pick up here as, as well. So John chapter 5. Verse 19, let's take a look at this. I really encourage you to have your own Bible out. If you have it on your phone, you can get there with uh, either their Bible app if you have one or uh, hit your, your browser, BibleGateway.com. That's what I use most often, and you can go to John 5, and we'll take a look. It starts off by this, this understanding of the Father and Son. Now, you've been following John chapter 5 if you've been here, so you know it's not the first time this Son type of talk shows up, but we learned last week the way the religious leaders heard Jesus say it last week at the end of chapter of the passage we studied at the beginning of chapter 5, they got upset. They were hearing Jesus say something that put him on the same level 
as God. This is what you need to remember about this. We, we teased this out last week. But this is a kingdom term when he talks about father and son. It's a kingdom term. And it, it, they understood that a king was in the, placed on the throne, and they would say he was placed on the throne by God. And so they were the highest person. In fact, they would look at this person almost in like a deity form, even though they were human. You've picked up this concept because you've seen lots of movies where that shows up, you know, in these kingdom period piece type of movies. But that was kind of a real process of thinking that predated the time of Christ. And so the kind of the thought was when somebody was called a son of God, that God had distinctly put them in the highest place on earth. The place that spoke for the deity. And Jesus is describing himself in these terms to the other religious leaders who, up till now, they had been the ones that had said they speak for God and they alone speak for God. And here's Jesus using these terms, these type of kingdom term to understand uh, up till now, and he's referring to himself. David, if you remember in the Old Testament, King David was actually referred to as a son of God, but not by himself, not by God, not even by one of God's prophets, who's actually one of his adversaries that described him this way. So the understanding of that term existed. Jesus is calling himself that. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's true about me. God has sent me. I am here with that authority. And I do speak on behalf of the Father. And so that's really important to know how Jesus understood himself. Jesus is not yet boldly saying, I am God in human form. He's not yet boldly saying that. Now, you remember John at the very beginning, John chapter 1. John tells us in his preface of the whole book, John tells us this is the case. But Jesus, you can see him slowly stair-stepping. And revealing himself, who he is, and why he came. And this is a huge step. Clearly, the, 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 the uh, religious leaders understood something had elevated. And they were frustrated. They actually were seeking to now kill him because nobody put themselves on the level of God. That's how this passage starts. This connection between the father and the son. The son chosen to be God on earth. That is the understanding. And Jesus says, yes, indeed, that's true about me. Take a look at verse 19. I assure you that the son can't do anything by himself except what he sees the father is doing. Jesus is saying, look, I and the father, we're one in our thinking. It's kind of like if you, if you ever play for a sports team, right? And you have a coach and maybe an assistant coach or a number of assistant coaches. And you can pick up are the coach and the assistant coach on the same page? You know, are they employing the same strategy? Are they trying to develop the same culture among the team? When they are, boy, it goes kind of smoothly for the team. When they are not, there's trouble on the team, right? Jesus is saying, look, I and the Father are one. We're on the same page entirely. I only do what the Father does or what the Father directs me to do. Now, that's important for us to understand The son, Jesus, is not independent of the father. And this is another cultural term because in those days, in Jesus' days, most sons 
would have followed in the footsteps of their father. They would have just done what their father did. There would not have been a point, like we do with our kids, where we say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you like to You can do anything you want. Hey, just set your mind to it. Those didn't exist. They would follow in their parents' footsteps, in their father's footsteps, the son, most likely the father's. And so this whole uh, thing that we kind of love in America, where there's very independent and chart your own course and all those type of things, didn't exist here. And so Jesus is actually, when he's saying that, he's speaking culturally as well. I do exactly what the Father does. I'm in the Father's business. That's what he's saying. I follow in line with the Father. So we're going to understand this, the Father and the Son, and we're going to actually see marks of a Christian that come out of this. And that's why I think there'll be some challenge for us today. So if you got your sermon notes, let's, let's track along and see what we're talking about here. First thing, the Son came to do what the Father does. That is clear. The son came to do what God did. Now, the confusion is that the religious leaders had been speaking on behalf of God. They had been speaking, saying, we are the ones speaking the voice of God. And yet Jesus comes along, and like on every step of the way, he's actually refuting. He's actually saying, well, that's not what Moses said. That's not what the law says. That's not what the prophets say. And he's critiquing and challenging the religious leaders, saying, I don't think you're really speaking for God like you think you are. But Jesus is going to come and say, I do what the Father does. That is a key, key thing. And so if you look down in verse 21, he says this, As the Father raises the dead and gives life, so too does the Son give life to whoever he pleases. Jesus is saying, look, you know God, you know the Old Testament. Remember the time where God like literally raised people from the dead? Well, the son actually came to do that as well. You might remember a story, the story of the dry bones from the Old Testament. You may remember it. If not, let me give you a, a brief cap. There was a vision that was had, and it's a dead army laying there, right? And then, this, then we see that there's, they are prophesied to, or they spoken into, or you could say the word of God was spoken to them, and all the parts start coming together again, and they become human, army, again, standing there, but lifeless. And then the spirit is breathed into them, and they come to life, back to normal. They would know this story of God breathing life back into someone who's dead. And Jesus is saying, the Father does that. Guess what? So do I. I come to breathe back in. But here's an interesting thing, that word dead. Nekros is the word in Greek. Here's what it means. Dead or as dead. So there's this understanding that there's, it's dead or close to dead as well. Like, you know, sometimes when you might say, you know, like, you know, th there's nothing they can do. It's only a matter of time now, that type of thinking. They would use this term as well. But it's also the understanding of this when you are completely blinded and you don't see it. There is a term, and we actually use it today, say they're kind of, you know, they're kind of dead. And so Jesus is using this term too in these different ways to say that Jesus came to offer life to those who are dead, both literally and spiritually as well. To offer life. Have you ever talked to somebody? You ever wanted to kind of share Jesus with somebody and talk to them? And you're like, man, they're just kind of dead right now. 
It's kind of dead. We know what we mean when we say that. And so did Jesus. He came to speak life into people. Now, Jesus is going to really do it literally just like God did as well later on. He's going to raise Lazarus literally from the dead. But as we said before, every miracle is a representation of what Jesus came to do, to offer life back into us. Listen, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if this is a season or if you've had a season where it's just been so rough, you've been disoriented, maybe by your own fault or whatever the case, and you just feel like, man, I'm just kind of just dead right now, kind of dead to the world right now. Jesus comes to offer new life. And guess what? Jesus does what the Father does, and so should we as believers. The mark of a Christian is to do what Jesus did. Jesus offers new life for those, anyone, you, anyone who is as dead. You know somebody in your life, and you would describe them as dead. Jesus came to offer life, and Jesus uses us. So the mark of a Christian is to do what Jesus did. It's as simple as that, to do what Jesus did. Now, here's the next uh, uh, little bit here, and this is, this is challenging to us. The father, in verse 22, doesn't judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. So Jesus is saying, look, the father, the father's not judging. That, that's not what the, the father is there to do. In fact, the father has said, hey, son, take control of that judging stuff. You know, you, I'll, give a, I'll give the authority over to you to do the judging. But we know that Jesus has chosen not to judge as we studied before in John chapter 3, verse 17 specifically. Let's understand this word. The word is, is krino in Greek. It's judge. It's what's most often uh, translated in judge in different translations. This is what it means. It means to separate from or to condemn. To separate or to condemn. The word does not mean to correct. It, that's a totally different word. In the Greek. So when you remember the passage in Timothy that says the word of God is good for, and then it's got this list of things that the word of God is good for, one of those words being correction, not, not krino that shows up in there, different word. Krino specifically means to separate from or to condemn. So really, this, this morning, if this was like, you know, a, a class, you know, like some of you teachers have, and your kids are talking, and you're like, I got to separate this group. You guys go sit over there. You sit over here. I got to separate you guys. That is, that is Crino. Does that happen, Liz? So, you have that? My daughter's class? So, okay. Liz is my daughter's teacher. Her husband. So, yeah, that is separating. That is Crino, to separate. But Crino has a, a thing of condemning, too. And when you think about the word condemn, think about this, to pronounce sentence upon someone. So when I pronounce sentence on you, Crino is coming into play. Because when I pronounce sentence, I might be sending you off to jail, and therefore I'm separating you from society. That's the understanding of this word judge. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to do that. That's not what I'm here for. That's not my purpose. My purpose is not to come down and say, all right, you're good, you're bad, like you, don't like you, separate, get over here, um, I don't never want to see you guys again. That, that Jesus didn't come to do that at all. That's the understanding of this word. 
So when we condemn, we declare judgment or we declare sentence on someone. That is judging. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian and another Christian brother or sister challenges you, and I hope they're lovingly challenging you, right? But if they challenge you to say, hey, that's not God's way. Hey, that's destructive. You're not being judged. You're being corrected. You're being challenged in your faith. And I could rattle off some verses where we're told to do that kind of challenging. But when we pronounce sentence or we bring separation, then we're judging. And Jesus says, that's not what I came to do. I didn't come to do that. Jesus says, I came to do the exact opposite. I came to actually to pull back together and destroy the gap people have between God. To offer them life so that they could know God. They could know the Son. That's what Jesus said he came to do. John 3, 17, do you remember it? I didn't come into the world to judge the world. It's not my purpose. Not why I'm here. Even though God has given him the same authority God has. Through Jesus' authority, uh, though Jesus has authority to judge, he chose to what? He chose to offer life. This is what Jesus is saying. The Father is not now judging, and neither will the Son. And we just said, we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus' example. So the mark of a Christian is to bridge separation, not to cause it, to bridge now listen, here's the thing that we really struggle with is because we think if we disagree with something or we see something out there that we might describe as sin, harmful, destructive, right, or not biblical, that term it, we use, we think if I don't speak harshly out against that, then I'm accepting that. You're not. You're not. But how you love someone, how you care for somebody, how you speak new life into somebody is very, very important. And Jesus walked around in a world that was vastly different than him, that believed a lot of different things from him. He walked around in a world where there was some open, destructive sin going on. He walked around in a world where some people walked feeling like they were right with God. And Jesus challenged their understanding of that. It's no different than our world we walk around in. And yet, Jesus finds a way to constantly speak life into people. The only people he seems to, to just continually speak harshly to is those religious leaders who feel like they've got it all religiously correct not only are they right with God, but they speak on behalf of God. And I want to tell you, the biggest reason Jesus confronts these religious leaders over and over is not because their religion's a little messed up. Jesus has some sympathy towards some warped theology, right, as he corrects and teaches people. It is that their job as religious leaders, as keepers of the temple and the law, was to offer life, and they weren't doing it. And this drove Jesus crazy. So the mark of a Christian is to bridge separation to the broken, to those who could care less about God and God's ways. For those who are on some path that looks totally different than yours, could care less about that. The mark of the Christian is to bridge separation, not to cause it. 
not to cause it. And this is really important. Now, granted, I understand our world. I understand if you ever say, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe in that. We kind of believe in this. I understand that the phrase, well, don't judge me, can be put back there. I understand that there will be a misinterpretation of what judging is. But let's put that over here, and let's think about our actions, our words, what we do. And let's say, I want to walk the same path as Jesus and offer new life. I'm going to bridge separation, bring people back to God and to relationship with God. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And then in verse 25, he moves on, and this can be a, a little confusing, so let's just talk about this. It says, when the dead will hear the voice of God's son, and those will hear it will live. We actually picks it up again in verse 28. Let me just read this whole section. If you got your Bible, read along with me again because it won't all show up on the screen. He picks up the same thing. He says, don't be surprised by this. Surprised by what? He's just said that, that we're not to judge. He's just talking about this. So he says, don't be surprised that I'm talking about this, that I have the authority to judge and I'm choosing not to. Don't be surprised by this. Why? Because the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Those who did good things will come out to the resurrection of life, and those who did wicked things will come to the resurrection of judgment. Now, we need to understand a little bit culturally what's going on. The Jewish understanding of this, going back into the Old Testament forward, was this. The concept was when somebody died, they died and there was not this immediate thinking of going to heaven, as we kind of say. But that there was a point where the Son of Man would return, or Son of God would return, as we think in those terms. We think of that housed in the book of Revelation. And that when God comes back to restore his presence, that at that time, all those, he will call those who are his, and they will then rise, and they'll be given new bodies. And they will live. And in between that time of rising and living, there is this moment of judgment. And that is, was the Jewish understanding. It's why it comes up here in the Gospels here, this, this, why it's said this way. Paul actually speaks this way as well and seemingly follows the same belief system there. And then, of course, we get it in the book of Revelation as well. And so that is the thought. Now, there's a little disagreement on biblical scholars, whether there is some type of, uh, oh, for lack of a better term, holding pattern. You know, don't call it purgatory. We don't believe that. Um, but where you're going there, that, that you're kind of like there in the presence of God, in glory. Um, but that's not the eternity God still has for you. And that day will come when Christ returns as we hope and pray and look for and then at that time god will reestablish what eternity and heaven looks like or if it's you die and then there's kind of a you know for lack of a better term a kind of a nothingness and then god rises those there's a disagreement you could talk to biblical scholars and you'll see some good solid new testament protestant bible loving jesus loving scholars that kind of fall on either side uh but here's the point. Jesus says, I didn't come to judge now, but there'll be a judgment. And this is what it'll look like one day. We'll stand before righteousness, and we're 
judged on two things that are put there. The good things or the wicked things. Let me go back. The word resurrection, if, for your notes, um, is anastasis is the word in Greek. And it simply means resurrection or to stand up. That's what resurrection means, to stand up. And so Jesus is using this way to say, look, you're going to resurrect and then you will, you will rise up and you will stand. And all these things are kind of one there. So the good things and the wicked things. What's he talking about? Because here's the way we think about it. We say, all right, the good things. All right, so smokers over here, non-smokers over here. You know, I mean, that's that we have our list of things that fall on the good or the bad. This would have been the understanding. One understanding, period. Good things. The things of God. Wicked things, the things of self. That's what it would have, the understanding would have been. If we follow in the ways of God, know the ways of God, what God has called us to, how is God, what's God's character like, and we say, I'm going to emulate and follow and be that, that is considered righteous. Wicked is to say, no, I prefer my own ways. I prefer my own ways to God. We sometimes think it's the holiest of holies, righteous, or we follow Satan himself, you know, like Satan's there leading with the pitchfork and we're following. But they wouldn't have had that understanding. In fact, they didn't speak a whole lot in the, in the Jewish people in terms of devil. Selfishness, though, was rejecting God's and saying, I prefer my ways over God's ways. And that was wicked. The mark of the Christian will be to stand in confidence. Before righteousness, saying, I chose to be a follower of God, a follower of Christ, to live out his ways. I saw a group of people last night down at Church Under the Bridge living that out. Now, we went down. Our team was excellent. I mean, a team went down, and we served, and we had a wonderful worship service, and it was awesome. And I was so proud of our team for going down. I'm proud of you. We, we filled 118 of those hygiene kits that you brought stuff in. Like, super proud of the church for that. But we popped in one night and, and left, right? So we, we did great service that night. But we saw some people, they do this week in and week out. During the week, they go walk the streets and find the, the homeless that they cared for on Saturday nights to check in with them during the week. They're running a church that's completely for the homeless, and they're, they're spending their whole life. That's a thing of God. It's a thing of God. It's wonderful. So... Standing in confidence is a mark of the Christian. Listen, the son, uh, it says there, has eternal life. So if we want eternal life, we join in with the son. Now, what does that eternal life mean? We've talked about this. We think in terms sometimes eternal life is one day I'm going to die and I'll go to heaven. That wouldn't have been their understanding. Nobody who writes in the New Testament writes about heaven that way. We write about it this way. Everlasting life. That life now, that will continue after death. Life now. So if I want to just say, I'm going to make as much money as I can, and I'm going to do as much as I can, and buy as much as I can, I'm going to have, you know, eat, drink, and be merry type of mentality, right? Then I can have life. But that's not life that continues even past death. Everlasting life is life that continues past death. But nowhere is there an understanding that you don't get life in Christ now. So to have eternal life, this everlasting life, you join yourself to the Son. Because the Son is saying He is the one that offers this. That's what He came to do. 
And what does he end on again in this passage? It's like a bookmark, or excuse me, a, um, a bookends. The son does nothing apart from God, so what? We should do nothing apart from the son. Our measuring rod should constantly be, who is Christ? What is he about? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. The son is our measuring rod. It's not, I'm going to do it, and then would that be okay with the son? Maybe I should check. I go to him. I'm with him daily in relationship. And there I learn. Kids, parent, do you eventually understand what your parents is good and not good with them? Yeah. I mean, you live with them, right? You figure that out. So we do with the son the more we spend time with him. Here's, here's the takeaway. Just three quick questions. Here's the first one. The first mark we went through, where do you not align with Jesus? Listen, be blunt with yourself. Where do you not align with Jesus? Now, if you read the Gospels, you cannot come away and not understand that caring for the poor is a huge theme. Read the book of Luke and you'll see it. Where do you not align with Jesus? That's for you to walk through. Ask the Lord, as David in the Old Testament, if there be any way in me, Lord, any way in me that's not in line with you, would you reveal it to me? It's a good question to be asking. You don't have to heap judgment on yourself. We just learned about that, right? But it's okay to bring correction to yourself, to say, I'm glad I looked at that because I don't want to be selfish that way. I don't want to treat that person that way. I don't want to ignore those opportunities to care. I don't, you know, and the list goes on. You can do that. The mark two, do you offer life? Do I offer life or do I offer condemnation? Think about it. Do you offer life? Now, maybe some of you are saying, well, I don't offer, I don't condemn anybody. So ask yourself the first question, do you offer life? Are you spending time telling people about the life Jesus has to offer? Here's the third mark. Am I confident to stand in righteousness? Am I confident on that day? Even if biblical scholars disagree a little on what happens from the time I die to the time the voice calls out, that's irrelevant. When we raise, am I confident to stand before righteousness? Am I confident to say I got in line and I was a follower of Jesus, wanting to emulate him and his ways? Did you blow it? Probably blew it sometimes. So do I. But that is the path and the journey I move forward on. Are you confident in that? Listen, if you're not confident in that, that's something we share. New life is available to you right here, right now, this morning. To say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. It starts simply by just saying, forgive me of, of my selfishness. Forgive me of saying, I wanted my ways over your ways, God. And then we actually get to invite him into our life. And he will guide, direct, and lead us to be followers of him. Well, I want to pray with you right now, and I want to pray for all of you, but I also want to give those, if, you're, if you've never, if you're not confident, I want to give you an opportunity, but also those who are Christians, I want to give you an opportunity to do a little business with God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that it, it, it can be challenging to us. It can actually speak differently than the way our culture and even sometimes our Christian culture understands some of these words and how you used them, Lord. So challenge us. Father, if there be any believer in here this morning 
that would say clearly, there are some ways in my life I do not align with Jesus. Father, could this be a week that could make commitment before you? May your Holy Spirit speak firstly clearly to them, and then, Lord, would you empower them and transform them to make changes? For some, it's stepping out in faith. You've been saying the things of Jesus is to share Jesus, and you haven't done it. And this would be a week to step out in faith and tell somebody about Jesus, whatever it is. Father, if there be anyone in here that says, there are times when I really get on the condemnation, and I know I speak that into people, or very least, I'm not speaking life into people. Lord, forgive me, and then empower me and help me to see how to give life. If that's you as a believer, just, just be going before God as I'm praying. But if you're this morning, you're, you're not confident to stand in righteousness. You've never said yes to Jesus to become a follower. Or you, you said yes, but you know the following has kind of been on the wayside and you're doing your own thing. Maybe still carrying the title Christian, but you're doing your own thing. Would you this morning, would you say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my selfishness. Forgive me of making you priority 3, 5, 10, 12. And Father, Father, help me as I put you as number one and seek to live in you. As much as I understand what that means right now, I seek to live with you at the top to be a follower of you. Lord, would you send us out of here, not only living new life, but would we go out and as we, the Old Testament story says, would we breathe new life into others through you. We pray in your son's name. Amen.